You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Hi, this is Deep Tran, writer at American Theater Magazine. I'm Jose Solis, a freelance theater critic. And we're your token theater friends, people who see too much theater and love to talk about it. How many shows have you seen in the past week, Jose? I don't remember, but not that many because I was away. Oh yeah, you're away. Yeah. And I have a cold, so I'm stuffed up. And I still went to the theater for the past four nights. You are welcome, everyone. In a row. In a row. That's so unlike you. I know. While but sick. Somehow, yeah. That's. So unlike you, both things. All of the press nights were last week for me, including King Kong, and you know, I and I, I, I wasn't gonna be like, no, I'm not coming to your King Kong press night, which we'll be, we will be talking about on future episodes. But on this episode, we're reviewing some shows, interviewing some artists. We have three shows on today's episode. First up, we have Inside the Wild Heart by Group BR. Then we have Lewiston Clarkston at Rattlestick Playwrights Theater. And we are ending with Torch Trilogy, playing on Broadway. I think it's only called Torch Song now. It's not called a Torch Song Trilogy. Oh, that's right. I called it Trilogy in my notes, but it's yeah. called Torch Song. Well, it's Torch Song, but whatever. Torch Song Trilogy, Torch Trilogy, Song Trilogy, Song Torch. But same it's not a trilogy thing. anymore. Thank God it's only two and a half hours. But it is a trilogy because like, the three plays are... Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a three act, but there's only one intermission. But it was... Yeah. Yeah, it used to be like four hours or something, and now they paired it back, which thank God they did. But we'll, we'll go into that. And for our interview today, we talked with the creator and star of the Thanksgiving play currently playing at Playwrights Horizons. We talked to playwright Larissa Fasthorse, who is the first Native American playwright to get a full-length production off-Broadway. Yay. Which, you know, yay for Larissa Boo for the American theater, because where have you all been? And we, we talked with Larissa and with one of the actors in the show, Margot Siebert. Uh, you may know her from... Rocky Ever After. What else have I seen her in? You saw her in Ever After? She was in Ever After at the Paper Mill Playhouse. You went all the way to Paper Mill Playhouse? For a musical? Yeah. Dang, you... Love music, we'll travel. That's that's Jose's memoir. Yeah, if you have a show, I'll go see it, wherever it is, <laughs> within reason. If I have to pay like a $1,000 plane ticket, I probably won't. Margo sings some offensive songs in Thanksgiving play and is generally hilarious. So stay tuned for that interview. And at the end of the show, we're going to be talking about women of color killing it in theater this season. There's so many and, you know, there hadn't been that much before. So the fact that there's more than two playing at once is a revelation. So stay tuned for that as well. But first off, let's start with our cheap show for this episode, who which Jose suggested, actually. And I'm, I'm really glad he did because... I really liked it. Because so. we have only been going to, like, Presidium shows for a while, right? Yeah. And I'm like, we needed some immersive stuff. So anyway, mm-hmm. first up, we have Group ERs Inside the Wild Heart, which is an adaptation of Clarice Lispector's Near the Wild Heart, 
which in the show takes the author's really revolutionary work and I think transforms it into also revolutionary theater making. Um, the story from the book is pretty simple. It's a Virginia Woolf-esque like, interior monologue. And the novel's really, really lovely. I highly recommend it if you love you know, existential women <laughs> going through stuff. And in the book, women thinking about things. Yeah. (laughs) But also like going through so many things in their minds. But anyway, uh, her name's Joanna and she basically narrates scenes from her life from childhood to adulthood, marriage and infidelity. And the group BR does with the novel is they transform it into a choose your adventure kind of immersive experience that unfolds on three levels of this like crazy ass house near Madison Square Park. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, seduction basically awaits at around every corner of this house. And you have the choice of 11 scenes. And there's everything from scenes from Carnaval to sacred rituals and even the making of Brigadeiro. Did you try the Brigadeiro? Yes. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. And with the scenes, the, the, the play basically takes the sensual qualities of Liz Spectra's beautiful novel and transforms them into tangible experiences, which as someone who loves her work, seeing them come to life was so powerful in this really, I don't know how to explain it. It is kind of like metaphysical way even. And it's kind of like Brazilian Disneyland for people who would prefer existentialism and poetry and samba instead of like, Grown-ups dressed like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, I think. <laughs> uh, Brazilian literary intelligentsia Disneyland. Totally. Totally. So let's talk about what adventures did you choose? Uh, the thing is, they told me it was non-linear, and so I just started at the top, the third floor, and just worked my way down. I don't think I had a linear experience for me, it not being as familiar with Clarice's work, I, I found it more to be like little vignettes of scenes of people, scenes of her writing. And and the great thing about her work, though, is if you're not familiar with it, it's it's kind of they compare it to Virginia Woolf. It's like very stream of consciousness. It's in, there's a lot of interior monologue and, and interior thought. I and I, I, I took a I, I took from it just like like gestures, almost almost like a just like an appreciation for everyday things and for language, because there is this mon there's this monologue that I remember and it was it was about an egg and there is like this and in part one of the installations was a kitchen this woman and on top of the kitchen was this giant egg and projected on it was this video of a bird hatching and this woman was talking about like every day like she looks at it and she feels inspired and all and what and you know like it's a variation of what comes first the chicken or the egg and 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 who and who can see and who can see it and who can't and it it is surreal and it doesn't make sense with what it is with what it is that you watch before or after but like the image is compelling. Uh, it wasn't for me like a linear like this happened and this happened. It was it was just more like fragments of really potent stuff. Which is her work basically. Like I I would if anyone goes see this show and you're not familiar with her work, I highly recommend her complete short stories. They're out mm-hmm. 
And they're like two ninety nine on Kindle. So thank you, Amazon, for your welcome. I mean, Amazon for me making giving you business. But uh, her her short stories are, are precisely that. They're just like fragments of things that don't make sense, you know, in the traditional manner. But they're still so just like memorable. Mm-hmm. What I think I love the most about this this show was. Well, Linda Weiss's direction is spectacular, I think, because mm-hmm. in most cases, when I go to this choose your own adventure kind of things, I'm usually ready to leave, but like half hour in. Yeah, it gets old. It can get old very quickly. But I was not bored Mm-mm. at all at Inside Mm-mm. the Wild Heart. Like I was there for two hours, which is what the show lasts. And I could have been there for like another hour at least because there was so much going on and it and reminds so much vi- and, and also so much visually with the set design i mean granted some of these pieces like like there was like bed and like a shower situation that was already that like, came pre-made with the space but like some of the installations like with these beautiful hanging like chandelier like pages it, it was, I, I just love immersive theater because like you you can just even if there's nothing happening you can just go through and just sift like sift through the pages of stuff. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. But is that always the case? Hmm? I mean, have you never been to an immersive show where you're like, okay, I'm just done. There's nothing else where you can like see, so to speak, everything in the first like half hour. You get, you take in everything that you can. Cause see? I don't remember the last time I went to an immersive show where I felt like I didn't see enough where i wanted to see even more and mm-hmm. i think if you accomplish that you're, you're on to something yeah yeah well it reminded me of like the first time i saw sleep no more you know with like the nine stories and you know it's about Macbeth, but there's you you don't really follow the story it's just this it's just like the spectacle and just being inside that world and i think you're right jose it is it is very rare for an immersive show these days to have that kind that level of detail i think because of budget. And so I am amazed they were able to get that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was so beautiful. I, I wish I had a better word, but it was just simply just like mm-hmm. stunning. And there's and like a piano with that's paint, painted with flowers. Like, I know. I want to take that home. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that women who at some point asked you to like inject her mm-hmm. with like blood? Yeah. Did you inject her with blood? No, because I felt uncomfortable. Hmm. That's so interesting because I wanted to talk about that also about, you know, I know that performers and immersive shows obviously have their script and everything, right? Mm-hmm. And where do you draw the lines between, you know, what we're, what we're allowed to see at an immersive show? Because I was kind of like disturbed when, um, this woman just proceeded to take her clothes off in the bathroom. And I was like, am I supposed to be here? This is like weird, but it's obviously part of the, mm-hmm. part of the show. And I, I appreciate it that it raises questions about, about that, about consent in a way. Cause I, when, once the woman took her bra off, I left, but there was this other guy who was, who was just like, I guess I'm staying here. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. just like started talking to her. And I was like, okay, I'll just leave you to your, let you guys do your thing. And I left and it was, I don't know. It was kind of like loving a book and then dreaming a scene inside the book and then finding that you can just like navigate around this universe that they created. And I think my favorite thing about the entire thing was when I left, it reminded me of one of, uh, 
my favorite quotes by by Liz Spector, who said, uh, "Everything in the world began with a yes." Mm-hmm. And if you keep saying yes to everything in the show, I think it's quite something. I, I wish it would run longer than than it will. Uh, yeah, and that is a downside. Only running until November eighteenth, and after that, there's you know there's only the record of our review. And th- and the thing I really loved about it because a lot of times I feel like an immersive work because. Because it's it's usually not linear, you're just in it for the, you know, the cool factor of like, oh, I can follow these characters around and it's kind of fun, like a theme park. And, and there's usually not that much like thematic resonance to you as an audience member. Like it's just spectacle. And I feel like for this, because of some of the really uncomfortable moments that, that you as an audience member witness, and also because the writing is inherently fragmented and you can just, you don't need to take in, you don't need the entire story in order to get like the effect of it. Like there was this scene that I loved, which was, um, I believe after I researched it in, 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 it was from one of uh, Lispector's books that was published after her death about a dialogue between this man who had put life into one of his creations. And just seeing just this image of seeing this man like vid, like actually controlling a woman, tying her, like a marionette doll, and it was a live woman, like that was really cool. Oh, on the stairs. Yeah. Oh. And then and then they, and then and then they ran up ran up to the third floor and did and like did the rest of the scene. Oh, that's so cool because I I think yeah. I was just walking past like the main hall where they were doing mm-hmm. that because I had just come from a woman giving me coffee and then breaking an egg in my hand. Was it did you wash your hands after? Yes, sir. Good girl. Okay. She I think I think that same woman gave me a rose. Oh, that's sweet. I know. Uh, she's so much meaner to you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean she gave me coffee. Yeah. But like what 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 it said about power and authorial control, like even from just like the ten minutes I was able to witness of it, it was just like it'll and it'll stick with you. Which is mostly what the the I feel like the best you can hope with with immersive stuff. Yeah, I think I mean this picture was notoriously cynical, but I think even she would have approved of this production. Mm-hmm. Well, we recommend it. If it comes back, you know, buy some tickets. Yes. Oh, I think it's also sold out. So if you can't get tickets, the most of the space is accessible also as an installation. Mm-hmm. So if you can't mm-hmm. make it to the show, which try to go if you can you can still go to the installation and i'm tr- sure you're gonna have like a at least an interesting time yeah you walk through the side of the show you know get some instagram moments yes <laughs> for the gram uh it's 35 to 60 dollars i hope you go it's it is so memorable okay the second show that we're talking about is lewiston clarkston the newest play by sam hunter who is who is a MacArthur Genius Awardee a few years back. His newest work is currently playing at Ralph Six Playwrights Theater, and it's actually two shows in rep with a meal break in between. And, I mean, if you haven't seen Sam Hunter's work, his bed, his bed and breakfast is basically sad white people in middle America, usually Idaho, because that's where he's from. Uh, Lewiston 
I'll I'll break down each play individually. I feel like that that might be easiest. Uh, so Lewiston follows the descendants of Meriwether Lewis, who are living in Lewiston. And a young woman returns to Lewiston to try to reclaim the land that her, that belongs to the Meriwether Lewis family and that the, her grandmother wants to sell off. And then 90 minutes of that happens. You have a 30 minute meal where you get to know some people around you. And the second play happens. It's called Clarkston, and it is about the a descendant of William Clark, who is returning to Clarkston because he just got diagnosed with Huntington's disease and is trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life. It's 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 very much about class and what class limitation and limitations that class puts on you in terms of ambition, in terms of how authentically you're able to live your life. And I always, the thing is, like, even though it's about people who I, who I'm sure if I met in real life, I would not agree with them politically. Like, there is, Sam, like, portrays them with such empathy and humanity, and they don't, and they're not, and they're not caricatures. And it shows you, like, like, how when you're so poor, like, there's, you don't have very many choices. Two of the characters in Lewiston and Clarkson are very liberal. You know, the girl moved from some organic farm yeah, or something. Yeah, from Seattle, yeah. yeah. And a young kid in Clarkston is pretty much like a liberal who goes to Bennington. So these two are very liberal, so you would agree with their politics, right? Yeah, but then they come up against people who don't... The, the, like the character of Marnie, the Seattleite who comes back to Lewiston and her grandmother, her grandmother Alice is more conservative and is one of those like God fearing people and you don't allow curs- cursing in, in the house. So they like, there's differences there, but those differences like never, they're, they're never a point of contention. And, and like for Clarkson, like homosexuality is a plot point, but it's never a point of contention. It's just about, it's just, it's very apolitical. Oh, yeah. And that, in fact, kind of bothered me at first because I was like, I want some conflict, you know, like mm-hmm. even more conflict. But then I realized that Hunter's doing something which I don't, I can't think of any other playwright doing this right now, at least not a white playwright. Mm-hmm. And it's precisely that they're exploring that dissatisfaction, <coughs> not like suffering, like the New York Times articles about <laughs> poor you know, Trump's America. And that's why yeah. they're racist. Yeah, it's not about that, but it's about mm-hmm. something else. And it's about this dissatisfaction because that exists with, you know, the, with what James Baldwin, I guess, called the trade, right? Where people emigrated from Europe and all these white places and they traded their culture for whiteness and they became white in America. And what Samuel Hunter's exploring in this two place is that how, cause I mean, we're both people of color in case you didn't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway. No, we're we both, fooled you. Yeah, we're both people of color and we, I think we know very well what our culture is. Yeah. And where we came from. Yeah. Whether we're immigrants or not, like our families remind us of our culture. While with the white characters in this two place, they don't have that. So it, at, at first I was kind of pissed that it was like so many white people, but then I couldn't help but feel really 
heartbroken for them because they're looking for something that they're never going to find. And that's just like, oh, God. It was like, I think it's like the opposite of an Oscar movie, which makes me want to like throw things at the screen in anger and because everything's so beautiful and like corny. This just, this, this show's made me so sad for these people. And I love also how Samuel Hunter plays with, with images and the, the plays are also like inside the wild heart filled with this beautiful like tableaus and this beautiful images that keep haunting me even after, you know, like it's been like three weeks, I think, since I saw it. And there's like this whole theme of mirrors, like both plays Mm-hmm. are the same structure wise like they're both journeys where someone else's voice is telling the traveler where to go and they both end the same way basically and i just found that you know stylistically like so breathtaking hmm. and i think this is one of those times actually where i think like the production elevated the play for me i feel like if i had seen it in like you know, your typical off-Briar proscenium space, it wouldn't have felt as visceral to me because when, like, the actors are just, like, a foot in front of you and they're talking about, like, how there's no frontiers left and there's nothing more to discover, like, this this is it. Like, it it gets into, like, this very um, specific ennui that we all feel about modern living which is like everything we're just so hyper connected and like there is very little to wonder at anymore and especially if you come from a place where you know i mean i'm in the midwest it's like it's it's like flatlands and full of costcos and walmarts and everything and where your life seems very gray like i like i felt that you know, monotony, like being in the Rousteck space, which is, which is like a very, which was completely gutted for this, but it was like bare walls, very sparse set. And you're just like, Oh man, I, I, yes, I understand what it must feel like to kind of live day in and day out with just all of this nothing and how it might wear you down if you have other ambitions. Something that that makes this uh, a really fascinating experience is that dinner break, mm-hmm. you know, and because you, you go from, because also like the seating arrangements change from Lewiston to Clarkston. And we start kind of, I would say like even more distant from the characters, even though they're happening, you know, like someone set up a tent literally next to me. Like I almost got my eye poked out with like, Mm-hmm. Thing I don't know I don't know anything about tents, <laughs> but that we don't camp with city people. Yeah, but I don't know what the <laughs> the parts are called. But anyway, but that dinner break, I don't know what happened to you, uh, but uh, I I was there on my own, and even though I knew people who were there watching the show, like I I, I knew some people, but I chose to just sit with strangers. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having this really lovely conversation with a couple from, uh, who are from the uh, Tri-State area, but live in Arizona and also in Boston. And they were both theater makers. And, mm. you know, I don't, I appreciated that conversation so much because then I went into Clarkston with a bigger sense of empathy. I want to say like I was ready to love the characters because I had 
such a, a lovely time with strangers. Like in Sound of Wild Heart, like I think these, I think this, these shows, like it served it better to have that kind of experiential factor to it. Yeah, I feel like in in many ways it's kind of like if as if Samuel D. Hunter found like an antidote to mm-hmm. white supremacy with this place. Yeah, hopefully. Um, but I, I actually wanted to uh, shout out like just the design because it, it's not. It's not. There's no fancy sets here. It is a. It's bare walls, and most of and most of sense of time and place is through lighting. So I want to shout out Stacy Drusier because there are some very beautiful moments with the lighting, like at the end at the end of Lewiston when there's when there um when the fireworks are going off and it flashes in through the windows, like that. Like that was transportive and really gorgeous. So, thank you, designers, for doing so much with so little, as per usual. Okay, and I would also like to single out Kristen Griffith, who plays the grandma in Lewiston, and she has this, you know, earthy, broad quality that made me think of classic Hollywood films like The Grapes mm-hmm. of Wrath, and especially Mercedes McCambridge in Giant. And I just loved her work so much. I could have, I could have seen her forever. Like, I want her to be my grandma. Okay. So Lewis and Clarkston is playing until the December 2nd and tickets are 76 to, to $108. But I think if you pay the higher price, you get fed. Oh, okay. I mean, they, they give you food. All, or yeah. And if yeah. you pay a cheaper price, then you bring in your own food. Yes. You're allowed to bring your own dinner. Mm-hmm. So it's lovely. Go see it. All right. Last show. We have the very first Broadway revival of Harvey Firestein's Torch Song. Um, originally, it was a trilogy. Oh my God, that rhymed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, originally it was a trilogy and it was like perhaps one of the most seminal queer uh, trilogies ever made. And in this revival, we have Michael Yuri playing Arnold, who's a drag queen slash torch singer who has all but given up on love when we first meet him in this really really funny monologue but then he meets ed who's this really hesitant bisexual who's willing to give him only a little bit of his heart he's never willing to commit and what happens is over the next three hours we follow the two over a decade or so as they go through marriage through new love through children, through fights with their parents, and through loss. That's what I liked about it, actually. And I think that's why it's good for it to be coming back now, because I think, like, there's still, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's still, like, a super, there's more of a proliferation on suffering gay characters rather than just, like, gay characters who happen to have problems not related to them being gay. You are not wrong. Okay. At all. It's the same, you know, queer people, even white queer people mm-hmm. for, you know, they're also minorities and they're also oppressed. So yeah, it's, it's not as common to see them have happy or at least just like traditional lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I want to be lazy and, and compare like all of most of the things that we're seeing this week to movies. But I also feel like this could, this was basically a movie. 
Have you seen the movie? No, Tor- it's so beautiful. Torch song? Yeah, there's a torch song movie. Yeah, Harvey. Harvey plays Harvey basically. Wait, so why is there a Broadway version? Because it's the I don't know. Ask the Harry Potter people. Ask the Harry Potter people. Or ask the Disney people. The movie is really beautiful. Like Anne Bancroft plays uh, Arnold's mom. What? It's really, really lovely. What? This is the this is the uh, Broadway revival of a production that was first staged off Broadway last year. Did you have a chance to see that? Mm-mm. It's the same play. Okay. Like they just grabbed the production from second stage and just put it at the Helen Hayes Theater. But what I think uh, got so much better in that you know the what was probably like over. Eight months or so, like almost a whole year in between productions, was how much Michael Yuri has grown into being Arnold. And his mm-hmm. performance on Broadway is, I think, one of the finest performances by a male actor that I've seen in years. Yeah. It was such a great humanizing, non, non stereotypical performance performance of a very femme gay man though i still get the i i I still have the sense that he's a little bit too young for the role because and because in the first half like it makes such a big deal about like arnold not being attractive or or like a washed up drag queen and michael yuri is none of those things and so it kind of strains believability that he would not have so many men knocking down his door to be his boyfriend. Maybe. Well, I don't know, but remember how much ageism and uh, and just like shallowness there is in sure. the gay community. Sure, and but Michael Yuri isn't old, nor is he ugly. No, he's neither. But I mean, oh, girl, like try being like a, a, a gay guy. It's vicious that pull that dating scene is like vicious because I think that um you know what something funny because I just researched it. In fact, Michael Yuri is older right now in Torch Song than Harvey Firestein was when he did it. Oh, yeah, Michael Yuri's almost forty years old. So even yeah, though he's thirty-eight, yeah, I agree that he is uh really handsome and you know. He seems like a very nice guy, but I think the point that they're trying totally to make, dateable. yeah, the point they're trying to make is that about how, you know, oh, in the gay community, the options, even if you're like the most beautiful person out there are just, so it's, it's just like different, but that would, that's for a whole, like, it's more for like a Dan Savage sex podcast kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things that I loved about the Broadway production was that off Broadway, um, Michael Yuri, I think the play sometimes works against him because the play, I was kind of disappointed that they didn't change the play enough to fit him. And we still get many references that are clearly about Harvey, like things about the voice. And, you know, like remember that line where someone's like, Oh, is that your usual voice or do you have a cold? And Michael Yuri has like a, that's his voice. Yeah. But, uh, it's obviously about Harvey because Harvey has the Harvey voice. Mm-hmm. And there are many things within the play that are so specifically fire scene. But Yuri transcends them. And he was so at ease in Arnold's skin that even though, you know, my brain was like, well, this is a line about Harvey. But my, like, my heart, I guess, uh, at the risk of being like too earnest, bought it 
mm-hmm. and I bought Michael Urias Arnold, yeah. and oh my god, I loved him so much. No, I, and I loved him too. And I think like any opportunity you have to spend three hours with him is you should definitely grab it. Anyway, but I actually wanted to give a shout out to Mercedes Rule, who plays Arnold's mom. Because if anyone who, if anyone held up to Michael Yuri in this cast, and not very many of them did, it was her. She's fantastic. She's fantastic. She's so good. Yeah. And because, you know, it's like a good old-fashioned argument, and you don't really know who you're going to root for, and you're, and like you find yourself like empathizing with uh, both sides at, at the same time. It's, it's, it's great. Uh, I don't know. And my thing, okay, I think, I think this, the, I think the key to why I'm not as warm on this as I would like to be was like, I, are we supposed to like Ed? Are we supposed to be rooting for them to end up together? Ed played a, by a very good looking Ward Horton, but are we supposed to be rooting for them? I don't think it matters. I mean, it matters to Arnold and I don't think we're, I, I think we're supposed to or not. I don't think the play cares that much about it. For me, for me, for me, I, I was in the empowerment mode of like, girl, get over him already. He's trash. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve you. And, but then he still sticks around. You're so hard on people who have like so, toxic love mm-hmm, yeah, relationships. Because okay. it's, again, it's carry and big. I mean. We were, I don't even know to this day if we were supposed to root for them. I know I we're didn't. We were supposed, yeah, we were. But I know I never did. Like, I always Same. wanted Carrie and Aiden to end up together. So it's, I mean, we've all been through this. Like, we, we've all had a friend who has the worst significant other. Mm-hmm. And we, we can't root for that, right? So, but as long as our <laughs> friends are happy, I guess, we should be happy. Because, I mean, even like Ed, and I appreciate how, how he's, Kind of like an oversized Ken doll. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he is beautiful. Yes. But there's parts of him, I think, that the play for a reason doesn't show us because those are the things that only Arnold knows about him, like how sweet he can be. And they have conversations that suggest scenes that take place in Harvey Firestein's mind only. And, and we, we don't see it. So, you, yeah, I mean, I didn't like Ed, the character, like, I think is a jerk. But I also understood why Arnold wanted him so bad. Because he's an oversized Ken doll? But, but I mean, there must be a reason why he wants him so bad. There must be a reason, but you should explain the reason in the play. But should you? Yeah. I don't know. I spent, I spent three hours with these people and I still don't know, besides the fact that he's good looking. Well, I don't know. I'll have to disagree on that because I don't, I don't mm. think that we shouldn't be explained everything about the plays. Not everything, but enough because all I see is one character acting very selfishly and jerking another character around for 10 years in playtime and the other character is just like, it's fine. You can come in whenever. Be a surrogate father to my surrogate son. It, it, it's fine. Like, there's... There's a difference between, there's like a fine line between being a accommodating and being like a carpet, a doormat. You think Arnold was a doormat? A little bit. Oh, that's so mean. If, if he was my friend, I'd be like, girl, he, he isn't, no, DTMFA, just. 
Yeah. And, you know, if Arnold was your friend, he probably wouldn't listen to you, which yeah. is what happens in the play. So, yeah, yeah that didn't bother me. I was okay, like, that's fine. love who you love, I guess. And if they're destructive, yeah. hope that there's people who are going to be there for you when things go south. That's okay. all you can hope for out of life, I think. Mm-hmm. I'll be there for you. Well, I don't have a, a terrible <laughs> significant other, so. But thank oh you God, for the like offer. So, it's like you're so romantic. I never realized. No, I. I mean, I don't know. I was just. I like. I always root love. for a love story, even if it's the the destructive love stories. Yeah, maybe I love a tragic romance, but I mean, they weren't like. It wasn't like no one was like beating anyone else. It was just like very like. Warm. It was like a Sex in the City episode. Yeah, like hot and cold, and then he basically never made up his mind. He basically never made up his mind. And that is annoying. It's been ten years. We have to pick a play that we would yeah, go see again. And anyway, a torch song is playing until indefinitely. It's playing on Broadway. Uh, tickets are forty nine to one hundred fifty nine dollars. Um, I would pick and. If I could, if I could see a show again, I actually have to pay for it. I think I'd see Inside the Wild Heart. I would also go to Inside the Wild Heart because I want to go see more stuff. I'm sure there's so many stuff. things I didn't I see. see more stuff. I felt like such a creep following people. Like when but, I would see like characters, you know, like actors run up staircases, I would just like stop whatever I was doing, just follow them. Well, that's the point of being of being an immersive theater audience. If you ever wanted to stalk people and you couldn't do do it in your regular life, go to an immersive theater show. Yes, but this play has some really, really, really talented and beautiful actors. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that guy who played the guitar, oh, Ulysses. Did you see him? Oh, oh my god! god. When, he, when he when he took off his shirt and he had that guitar, <laughs> he played the guitar. Oh god! <laughs> Jose's fanning himself. He can't take it. I I I am. Yeah. I was very, cl- I was very close to the abs. They were, they were very nice. They were nice. So go, Ulysses, and yeah. All right then. Uh, let's go to our interview with Larissa Fasthorse and Margot Siebert, and after that, we'll come back with our closing thoughts on theater. I suggest that we begin four thousand years ago when ancient northern Europeans joined the agricultural revolution and reaped their first organized harvest as farmers. In order to give thanks to the gods for this new way of life, they feasted with ceremonies. Thousands of years later, these ceremonies become known as the modern Harvest Home Festival. I thought we were doing a Thanksgiving play. For those who have not seen the Thanksgiving play, can we can I have a short synopsis of what people can expect from the Thanksgiving play? Yeah, so um, Thanksgiving play is about. Well, do you want the official synopsis or my synopsis? Yours. Oh, good. <laughs> awesome. Oh, me too. Okay, so officially, um, my synopsis is I make like, I make fun of white people for eighty-two minutes. Done. Does that sound right? Yes, 100%. Um, You know, to me, it's about performative wokeness, like Mm -hmm. people who are 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 performing this uh, act of being woke without necessarily wanting to do the work or the understanding of what that means and and how they can actually be of service to the world, Um, and you know, the whatever written. What is that synopsis would be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it's um, about four uh, white presenting people who are trying to make a culturally sensitive Thanksgiving play for Native American 
Heritage mm-hmm. Month. Native American Heritage Month. Uh, how does that make you feel, Margot, to be making fun of <laughs> your people so for 90 good. <laughs> No, I loved, I loved in one of the talkbacks uh, earlier in this in the process where someone said it's like these people are trying to be so sensitive mm-hmm. that they're incredibly insensitive. And I think the tricky thing is whenever we feel as actors and white people mm-hmm. like um, when we start on stage to feel uh, badly for doing that. Mm-hmm. It's like we have to go so far to be as offensive as possible um, and execute what is written without any apologies for it to like land with the audience and mm-hmm. so it's it's super fun for me I mean obviously I've never seen anything like it or been a part <laughs> of anything like it so um, so it makes me feel good I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm doing my part <laughs> so many people Marco know you from from musicals yeah. and I've gotten to see you in straight plays and musicals and I wonder is there any difference in how you approach the characters as, as a performer whether it's a musical or a play well um, I mean, I absolutely love to sing. I love to tell a story through song. And that's, that's an added bonus in a way when you get to do a musical and you get to then, like, the music takes you on an emotional journey as well. Um, but it's a super fun to not have the music to rely on and to, ju- and to have the text and to find, um, that same kind of, um, musicality and like almost like the volleyball game of pass keeping the ball aloft you know with the text uh so that's been that's really really fun for me in plays and also in brand new plays getting the chance to talk to larissa to have her in the room which is such a cool thing about playwrights and um work and develop the show together and and hone it to the four uh, members of this cast and this particular production and um and so that's something really special, which often I feel like in musicals you don't necessarily have time to do. As our Native American compass, Alicia is allowed to say what she wants about it. Native American? I told you we got that Heritage Month grant to hire the professional actor. You didn't say it was for a Native American actor? I thought it was implied. I am so sorry. It is truly an honor to work with you. <laughs> this play is, is a lot about myth busting, mm-hmm. about like the things we were taught as non-native people about Thanksgiving and how it was it's all kind of, you know, BS. Yes. And so Larissa, what did you learn about Thanksgiving growing up and when did you learn about like what the rest of us were taught? <laughs> what was that like? Yeah, you know, interestingly, I was really fortunate cuz growing up in South Dakota as a mm-hmm. Lakota person, um I've told these guys a lot of times, I Grew up in this time called, you know, the era of reconciliation, where the mm-hmm. state was officially trying to reconcile with their history with the native people and, and how that had all not gone down well. And so we didn't have Columbus Day. We didn't mm-hmm. have, um, pilgrims and Indians at school. Like we never did that for Thanksgiving. It was always, um, it's South Dakota. So it's about harvest and fall and mm-hmm. bounty. And that's something, you know, everyone's celebrating anyway. And so it was about that and about food and hanging with your family. And so that's what I did growing up. Um, it was honestly, I, I didn't realize until I started writing this play, the crazy stuff people are still doing in schools with children. Mm-hmm. You all have to do it. <laughs> There's some yeah. crazy things. Oh, it's so uncomfortable to watch. Oh, it's horrifying. Yeah. Uh, the stuff that, that, like today, on the internet, people are putting new videos of stuff they have children do with pilgrims and Indians and mm-hmm. all those things and that are 
not I mean problematic isn't even close to like it's just downright racist and um, I had no idea because I'd never done those things of how mm-hmm. intense it was and, and it's still going on and so I really didn't learn about a lot of that stuff until I started writing this play and I think over the years you go like throughout history class you kind of go oh, okay I feel like this couldn't possibly be the full story because we're leaving like complete peoples out of it right like so that doesn't quite add up but i would say in terms of being really specific it's part of this play mm-hmm. i mean just speaking about the different i mean i know that people do really weird stuff for thanksgiving that i knew because that i was very likely a part of in kindergarten <laughs> but um but in terms of various dates and like like um, when when was there? Uh, uh, now we need to all celebrate Thanksgiving in this way and bring families together and like and cover up this part of history. That I feel like got way more specific for me with this with this play and this experience. Yeah, me too. Were you ever like this close to like pulling a Wednesday Adams and Adams Family Values and just like burning the entire like <laughs> act to the ground? <laughs> I feel like that's what we kind of do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's the best way, in your opinion, to teach Thanksgiving? Now that you've done this, mm. oh you say? boy! Well, <laughs> I'm not what going. Have you learned, I'm not Margo? going home for Thanksgiving this year, which uh, is probably a good mm. thing politically. Mm. Uh, um, I, I mean, I think in 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 a very simple form, it's like, what are you celebrating, and why are you celebrating it? I mean, I I think often. I've thought of like, what are you grateful for? What are you thankful for? This mm-hmm. bounty, it's fall, it's a time of plenty, it's before we're heading into winter and kind of um, turning in and turning off and and hibernating in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so um, that all makes sense to me. But historically, what it has stood for, I think, is something that we should be talking about, <laughs> especially if we're going to continue in any way, shape, or form, teach our children this kind of, this, these ridiculous stories and um, Thanksgiving plays and portraying other people <laughs> or other races. <laughs> I actually had a conversation in my building the other day oh, really? about this, yes, mm, with a man ooh. outside smoking a cigar about Megyn Kelly. I don't know if we want to go there, but <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Uh, he was just like, I don't think what she said was that. I, I think she was talking about a, a, that in a specific time and place, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I felt like with our time here in this play and the unfortunate um, moments that you've had to handle, even working here on this play at Playwrights Horizons with patrons, I was like, okay, how do I continue the conversation with this man um, who's looking to me to confirm what he said? Right. Yeah. An, an older white man in my building. But, and, but, and, and, tastefully disagree yeah. and and I because I was talking about this play and I was talking mm-hmm. about okay this is what the play is about and it's a comedy and and um, and I said I, you know I, I, I saw her, her apology and I I think sh- she was owning that she did say some inappropriate things mm-hmm. and that it, it is never appropriate right. to color your skin um, the shade of anyone else's skin to be portraying another human being mm-hmm. like that whether or not, I mean, it obviously has happened and happened for a long time, and it is, we have to collectively say it's not okay. And then he was like, oh, okay, okay, fine. <laughs> like, went off good. and smoked a cigar, and I was like, victory? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see next week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One step. One step. One step.
Margot, your album Seventy Seventh Street is so beautiful. Thank you. Like, you got me to like a Nirvana song. <laughs> I'm I, so happy about that. I was so surprised. <laughs> But I love. Yeah, I was like, what? It's like what? But anyway, I love that you combine. You know, it's like a really lovely mix of songs that you love and yet you grew up listening to and loving. Because you have Joni Mitchell, you have Michael McDonald, and Nirvana. And then you also include your very personal songwriting, and I wonder, you know, can you talk a little bit about what I'm assuming was, you know, like coming from a very vulnerable place to include Margot's songs next to like Kurt Cobain and Joni and Michael? Oh, what was that? That's like such for you? a great question. Thank you. Um, well, part of it was um, I've only been writing music for the last couple of years. And I had basically been keeping it to myself because I didn't label myself as a songwriter. I thought I'm just an actress, and that's what I do. I don't, I don't know how to write. Um, and then it really was my record producer, Michael Kreuter, who said, "Like, I think that this album needs to be your songs. At least half of it needs to be your own music. If that's what you have, like, we want it. We need to hear what you have to say." And the the idea of the album came in a thematic kind of way because I was thinking about the in-betweens of life and how many we have and how uncomfortable they are, whether you're like you haven't quite finished that project or you're in between jobs or you're grieving and you don't quite know how to let go or you need to make a tremendous decision in your life. And that's kind of what I wanted to pay respect to a time that especially in New York City, but often as, as humans, we have great difficulty being okay with not knowing. Hmm. And so that um, Whitman on the album is like about my sister's death and like just dealing with uh, grief and thinking that maybe we're thinking about death like in the, in, a, in the wrong way. We don't know. So how can we, um, how can we say we know when we don't? You know, it's a inspired by a Whitman poem but uh but yeah I I really feel good combining my personal experience in with these cover songs because it felt like it all kind of was honoring this uncomfortable time and I really think that we're also kind of collectively in an uncomfortable time yeah that's mm -hmm. I, I thought of it when I was listening to it the first time I thought of it as It's like a scrapbook where you have like your personal notes, but also like quotes you love, like people you love. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh, that's a great way of thinking about it. Yeah. I, I love yeah. the album. Sorry, great for, you, for your album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you planning on taking the show on on tour? Um, well, um, that takes money, and um, <laughs> so much and of it in the theater. So right. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping that to take it to my hometown, like Washington D.C., Baltimore area, and hopefully uh, do that this concert at theaters that I've worked at, or you know, go go to the hometown folks, and then I'm sure we'll be playing in the East Village probably in the new year. There's been so much 
talk about how like you're the first of this, and now you have to represent your community. And I know I know you didn't train to be a playwright, and you you were a ballerina until you were 30 years old. And so being the only person of Native heritage in the room, and not and them not always being amenable to like what you have to say, like what has been your coping strategies for continuing to pursue this career? Ooh. Good question. It's um, a lot of things. I think, um, honestly, part of those two challenges I just talked about are mm -hmm. also self-serving, right? Because then it guarantees I'm not the only Native person. I might be the only one in rehearsal, within the rehearsal room, um, but I know that there's other Indigenous people holding down staff trainings and competency trainings and different things with the staff that I'm not a part of, but I know that it's happening. Um, so that's kind of my selfish way of bringing up artists <laughs> in. I know that some of my favorite artists are right down the hall today and tomorrow, and I know that they're here, and that's really exciting. Um, so, you know, part of those things, that wasn't my intention when I started out, but it's been pretty awesome. I'm like, oh, thank goodness, there's other people here. Um, that's been great. I, I will say it's, it's, um, it's hard. I was talking um, with some of my Latinx theater friends recently, and I was like, it's, it is hard when, except for once in my life, in my career, I've always been the first Native American in each theater I've worked in, always. Yeah. And it's 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 hard. It's hard to, like, I would love it to just be easy once where I don't have to talk about, um, friend, I don't have to learn everyone in front of house because I need to talk to them about engaging with my community. I don't have to learn, you know, do all the staff training. I don't have to learn all the ticket people and make sure they don't say something offensive to my people and turn away an elder and do all these different things that are important in my culture. Um, it'd be lovely to just... Like show up and work on the play. I can't imagine what that's like. I've never done that. <laughs> God, yeah. I, I can't imagine like what that would be because mm -hmm. um, I have to be responsible for like a whole institution mm -hmm. and then those seven generations behind me that are coming and that need to be able to walk through these doors. And I'm responsible to all those people. And it is hard. We're, and anyway, so I was talking to my Latinx friends, and they're like, "Whoa!" Like hadn't occurred to me. Like they're often the only one that season, but like. Octavia was already here, or Jose Luis was already here, or Carol was already here. You know, somebody's mm -hmm. already been here, and they're like, "Whoa!" It never occurred to me that there's like mm. Mary Catherine and I can call each other, Mary Catherine Nagel and I can call each other, but there's no one else that's kind of been in this world the way we are now that we can talk to. I feel so grateful that you did do those like mm -hmm. trainings here, and. Mm -hmm. And, and demanded that other people be part of the season because it's like, it, it helps all of us. Uh, and I mean, that's a ton of work on your shoulders, but I so appreciate it because then we like are like, Oh, okay. This is the kind of experience for your people. How do we be accommodating so your family can come? <laughs> like, and that is really important to learn because there's been, we've had all of these discussions about like, theater rules, white theater rules, and and what we uh, expect a proper audience to behave, you know? And and it's really nice to kind of stretch that definition yeah. and right. expand. So. Yeah. I'll I'm still waiting for that baby to come on stage. I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. Now if we can just get the white people to stop shushing the people of color Ooh. in the audience. Let's yeah. hold on our story. Yeah. What are you too grateful for this year? Oh, wow. What are you grateful for? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm making you go first. Um, well, I'm, I've, I'm actually, yes, because we're, mm. we're going this way. I'm actually really grateful that I am spending my Thanksgiving here <laughs> doing this play because 
often I also play very sad people, um, <laughs> which is also good um, in it, its own time and place, and people need to feel things, and they are feeling things here, but it's such a joy to bring people this kind of mm -hmm. laughter, and to hear, I've, I've heard Larissa say multiple times, like, that laughter is adding time to people's lives, mm -hmm. and I am so, that if there's ever a moment where I'm within the play, and I'm going, ugh, I didn't deliver that well, or like, oh, that fell, or like, ugh, I think, whatever, I'm, whenever I'm mm -hmm. judging myself, and I hear laughter, I remind myself, like, no, that's it. Like, they're with us. They hear that. We're adding time to their lives. It's what I can do right now um, or a, a one thing that I can do and I'm actively doing is to nightly bring this kind of be instrumental in bringing this kind of laughter and education to an audience. And I'm grateful for my husband. I think he's really cool. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'm grateful my, for my husband, also, too. Also, I'm also, yes. I don't need to talk about Ed. them. They're not here. Yeah, um, now she shamed me. And and she even just said his name, and I didn't. <laughs> I'm grateful for Ed. Um, no, I'm, you know, I'm honestly, uh, I'm, since we're sitting here, I'm going to do the cheesy thing, but true thing, and say I'm grateful to Playwrights Horizons, because not only will they be producing this play through Thanksgiving, but also um, just down the hallway here are the first rehearsals for the um, readings of two other indigenous plays, and then there'll oh. be two more tomorrow, and I'm just really excited. I, I throw down the challenge to every theater that I work with, two challenges. One, that can't be the only native art in the season, I can't be the only native person paid in the season, and mm -hmm. Playwrights Horizons really took those challenges to heart and they've worked really hard at it all the theaters I have worked with have and they have been done no less you know they've involved um, indigenous visual artists and performing artists and actors and um, dancers they're going to have a permanent land acknowledgement plaque in the lobby you know all these wonderful things are happening they're going to be continuous changes here and I'm really really grateful for that and I realize it sounds cheesy because we're sitting here but I actually do appreciate yeah. it yeah it matters and it means that I'm the first Native American ever to come through these doors as a writer. That means now, you know, the next one is going to be that much easier. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah. When, when's Thanksgiving play running to? Uh, Thanksgiving play is running previews now. It opens November 5th. And it, right now it runs through Thanksgiving. But if you all run out and buy tickets, we can extend to Christmas. Oh, wow. Question. <laughs> yes. Celebrating that Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so if you want to see Margot Siebert sing some pretty offensive songs. <laughs> <laughs> That's not for her album. Yeah. But not, that's not for the Thanksgiving My play. Album is a collection of highly offensive music. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my god. I sold in the lobby. Yeah. That's hilarious. And Margo, your album, can you tell us a little bit, and when, when's it going to be released? It, it was just released last week. It's called 77th Street. Um, it's, it's for sale. Um, on uh, iTunes and Amazon Music streaming, all of your yeah, Apple Music, all of that. And if you want to buy a hard copy, you can also buy it here at Playwrights Horizons. If you still have a CD player, there you go. It's it's, it's here. Yeah. <laughs> These wonderful women have projects. Support them. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us. Thank, Thank you for having us. Happy Thanksgiving. Why are we still talking? I don't know. Let's wrap up. I'm trying to. I think it's because I think I think what's happening is like 
the cold medicine means I can't like I can't come up with things in a concise manner. So I'm just talking and talking until I figure out what it is I want to say. Or maybe you don't remember what say it is anymore. I don't. Maybe you've been here for two months. Oh man, uh, what 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 is that play where? Yeah, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a Beckett play. We've been here oh, God. for years. Yeah, Beckett play is the last kind of play that I would want to live in. <laughs> what no. kind of plays would you want to live in? No, thank you. What what kind of musicals? Yeah, you want to live in music? What yeah. musical? I mean, they come in all shapes and sizes. I mean, a lot of them, like West Side Story. Oh, okay. I would totally be Anita, though. I wouldn't like die. I want to live in Sound of Music. With the well, we kind of are. There's no, Nazis literally no. outside right now. I, I want to live with Christopher Plummer, with young, hot Christopher Plummer, and seven children. Yeah, that's that's the bummer about that. You want to be in a side of music, but you want to be the Baroness and send them all to yes. boarding school. <laughs> yes, and okay. I, I can be played by Laura Benanti. It would be amazing. I approve <laughs> those life choices, obviously. Mm. But no Nazis. Yes to no music Nazis. and singing the yes. Alps, but no Nazis. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, can, can you just intro us in? Yes. For our 11 o'clock number today, we are going to be talking about all the incredible women of color who are killing it on stage, off Broadway, on Broadway, off of Broadway, everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, even... Danae Guerrera, who's a very talented actor, but also a playwright. She just won like the best action movie, like People's Choice Award or something. Like I was like, go, like go you. Yeah, well, I feel like on this podcast we've talked about or talked to like so many women of color this season. It's been really exciting. Like Larissa Fast Horse, and last last week we we reviewed Ngozi Yawu's play at the Vineyard, and also next week we're in the next episode we're interviewing Ming Pfeiffer, whose play is at the Roundabout, and there's also Jocelyn Bio, who's whose play Schoolgirls is running at MCC. There's so many women of color playwrights being produced off Briar right now, and that makes me really happy. Our first guest, like, look how her career has... <gasps> yes, Alicia Harris. Yeah. Her new play is coming out soon. And they're New turning as goddess into a movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess this... I know it seems like, oh, what's the big deal? But I, I just pulled up some numbers about like how often women are not hired in New York from the League of Professional Theater Women. And the latest thing was in the 2016, 2017 season, women were only hired for like 21% of jobs off Broadway. And that includes all the jobs. Not cool. Like playwrights, actors, designers. And so the fact that there is a lot of women of color, just writers right now, that's a big deal. Because that means like there's more women generally in theater who are producing these women and working with these women. But no, what I really love and what I wanted I wanted to talk about was like the kind of stories that are being told because I think we talked about the last episode, Jose, about like Good Grief by Ngozi Yawu, for example. She 
it, yes, it's about an African American girl, but it's not about like how about race or about pain associated with race. It was about a girl who was grieving the loss of a beloved friend. And it's like all of these women are being produced and they're like telling stories we haven't seen on stage before. Or like Alicia Harris, like telling a Western about revenge. The more women who are being produced, like the different kinds of stories that they're able, able to tell and different kinds of representation that they're able to have. So it's not just like, it's not the story about, you know, black women. It's just a story about black women. What do you think? I agree, but I would like to, not but, mm. and, and I would like to celebrate the performers who are doing this on Broadway where it's so hard to get anything mm. by a person who's not a white, straight, or gay, male, white, anyway, all variations and combinations of white, white. to do something. And I, I was thinking about the work that uh, Lachans and Adriana DeBose and Stormlever are doing on the summer musical, the Donna summer musical, which <laughs> is, they've been doing that, you know, like most musicals close in like a week and they've been doing this for months and months and months and months. And Lachans was nominated for a Tony. She did not win, unfortunately, but the fact that they're, they keep telling the story of Donna summer when we've seen, other shows, you know, about like white people close because they're terrible. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we get to see this three really different women of color bring to life one of the greatest performers that I think, you know, the 20th century gave us. It makes me so happy. The same for Haley Kilgore, who's still doing Once on His Island. It's been almost a year and the, the show just keeps bringing this incredible cast of women of color in rotation. And Michelle Williams from Destiny's Child is going to join the cast pretty soon. What? Isn't that cool? So I love, you know, even though the shows themselves were written by white people, they're telling stories about powerful black or women of color. And I know you have problems with ones on this island and a lot of people do, but I, I really appreciate that, you know, that we have a show that's been running for almost a year on Broadway that it's, and it's about a, a young women of color. Yeah. What, what great times we live in, you know, it's, I think it's a, I mean, it, it can be better, but in terms of representation, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot better now than it was when we were growing up. Definitely. Oh, oh my God, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not enough, though. That's not enough. We we still got to have more. We're not going to stop talking until until the Nazis from the side of music can take us away. I guess. In your <laughs> until <fantasy>. there, <laughs> until there are no more Nazis. Oh wow, that's going to be where we're going to be here forever. I know. I know. Unrealistic. I know. But hey, Democrats are in the White House. I mean, Democrats are in Congress. <laughs> More women of color being elected to office. Jose can stay in America now. Like, good times are being had by all. Most. But by most. Well, a lot. Yeah, good times are being, yeah. By a lot of people, yeah. We could yeah. be better, but whatever. Yeah. So, for more good times, go see a show, everyone. We recommended you some shows. 
if you see these shows or anything else that we recommended on this podcast, let us know. We'd love to hear from all of you. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get you get podcasts. You can rate or review us, but please say nice things if you do those things. We don't want to hear mean things from you because it's like you don't boo at the theater. Don't boo at your podcasters. Oh, and if you want to see us on video interviewing people, you can subscribe to Token Theater Friends on YouTube. Um, is there anything else you want to tell the people, Jose? Stay warm and remember that January 11th through 13th, BroadwayCon happens in New York, and we're going to be there. We're not sure of the exact date yet, but get a ticket for the whole weekend. BroadwayCon's like such fun. Like you're going to love it. There's cosplay and there's all this like incredible performers. And Kelly O'Hara showed up last year. I mean, this year. Anyway, it's going to be amazing. So go see it and go see us. And we're going to have giveaways and special guests and all the token theater friends goodness you want in your life. Yeah. Plus, if you loved our interview with Margot and we talked about her album, 77th Street, I have some great news for you. We have two copies of her new album to give away. And in order to win one, all you need to do is go on Twitter and just tell us what's your favorite song that Margot sings. And we are going to pick winners the first week of December. Wait. Jose, these are physical albums? They are. Who has a CD drive anymore? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean... so retro. It's still nice looking at the little pictures and stuff. Oh yeah, and liner notes. Yeah, and if you bring your album, maybe Marco's going to sign it for you at some point if you meet her. Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun. Yay, nerds. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. And remember, theater is more fun when you take your friends. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.